0: So there's a historic figure from ancient Rome that just about everyone in Sonoma County has heard of. We hear about him usually about this time of year, although this year it's been delayed until April. His name is Pliny the Younger, or uh, Pliny if you say it the way the beer folks say it. The historians and Latin scholars tend to say Pliny, but around here, we tend to say Pliny the Younger in honor of our award-winning local brew. However you like to pronounce it,
1: he was a real person.
0: He was a Roman aristocrat who served as governor of a province in what's now Turkey around the year 100. So about 70 years after the time of Jesus. And it so happens that Pliny the Younger is interesting for us, not just because he's a beer namesake, but because he wrote a letter, a letter to Caesar, a letter to the emperor Trajan, that is one of our earliest mentions of Christianity outside the New Testament itself. So Pliny, serving as governor, wants to check in with Caesar to be sure he's doing the right thing when people are accused of being Christians and brought into his court. And he writes, when people are denounced to me as Christians, first I interrogate them. If they confess that they are Christians, I threaten them with punishment and ask a second and a third time. And if they persist in saying that they are Christians, I have had them executed. For after all, whatever it may be that they really believe, Their stubbornness and obstinacy certainly deserve to be punished.
1: He was not a soft man, this Pliny the Younger. Later in the letter, he
0: he writes about how he tried to find out what Christians did in their mysterious gatherings. He says, I felt it even more necessary to learn the truth. So I tortured two female slaves whom these Christians call deacons. And he goes on to write about their gatherings and the hymns that they sung to Christ and so on. And it's a fascinating letter to read because, on the one hand, this is one of the most civilized people of his day. He writes with elegance and polish. And yet there's a casual cruelty to the letter. He thinks nothing of executing and torturing these people. And after all, from his perspective, why should he? These aren't people of any rank or any particular
1: importance in society. And so their suffering has little importance. Pliny's letter
0: seems cruel to us today, perhaps because we have attitudes about human rights and dignity and the infinite value of every single human being, regardless of social, class, or status that simply would not have ever occurred to him or Caesar
1: or almost anyone in most of his society, at least those who held power.
0: There's an English historian named Tom Holland who recently wrote a book arguing that our modern ideas of rights and freedom and dignity owe a great deal to the rise of Christianity. He's not himself a Christian. He's simply a scholar interested in the history of ideas and how it came to be with these principles that would have seemed so startling and unnecessary throughout so much of human history. After all, it seems pretty clear that being rich is good, being poor is bad, being powerful is good, being weak is bad,
1: and being honorable is good, and being shamed is bad. Pliny and his fellow aristocrats are clear on that. And Tom Holland isn't the first
0: to suggest that Christianity played a huge role in changing our ideas about the value of being weak, about the moral authority of suffering. Back in the 1800s, the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche was bewailing Christianity for messing everything up by introducing what he called slave morality to society, a morality preoccupied with things like comforting the sorrowful instead of the simple, good, healthy pleasures of wealth,
1: strength, power, crushing your adversaries. Today, in our passage from Luke's gospel, we get
0: a short, profound summary of that morality that Nietzsche bemoaned and that Tom Holland seems to appreciate and that Pliny would have simply found strange. This passage is called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes coming from a Latin word meaning blessings. And so this passage is the blessing passage. Blessed are you, says Jesus, if you're poor, if you're hungry if you're weeping, if people hate you and shame you in my name, blessed are you. That word that means blessed can also be translated as something like happy. Another translation simply translates it as congratulations. Congratulations to you who are poor, you who are hungry. There's a slightly different version of this passage in the Gospel of Matthew. And in that one, Jesus pulls his punches just a bit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which of course, plenty of people who are not poor in the slightest materially could maybe find a way to apply to themselves. But here in Luke, Jesus doesn't give give us that option. He just says, blessed are the poor. And also, unlike Matthew's gospel, he adds a series of woes to counterbalance the blessings. Woe to you if you are rich, if you're full, if you're laughing, if people praise you. Woe to those simple, good, healthy pleasures of wealth, strength, power, and crushing your enemies. Jesus is in profound continuity with the Hebrew scriptures. And he says that he is saying what the prophets said before him. And going back before the prophets, he's in profound continuity with a God whose major action is freeing the people from slavery, freeing the Israelites from oppression in Egypt. Slave morality, indeed. It's as if Jesus is saying
1: Those things you think are good for you, they're actually killing you. Now, back in the days of Pliny the Younger,
0: the Romans had a sophisticated society. They had plumbing systems in their cities to give them fresh water. They drank a lot of wine. They used sophisticated medicines and cosmetics. all those things had something in common. Lead. Lead is a metal that can be worked wonderfully well to make pipes. It can be an ingredient in cosmetics and things to spread on your skin. And you can make a compound from powdered lead with molecules in wine that make it sweet. And so lead made life sweet in ancient Rome in many
1: ways. Now, of course, lead can kill you. And so many of the things
0: that many of the upper class in Pliny's day were enjoying were subtly working their ways into their systems. Some scholars have suggested that upper class Romans were affected by widespread lead poisoning.
1: That may or may not be true,
0: strictly speaking.
1: But in a way, the Beatitudes
0: are like that. These things that we as human beings think make life sweet, the money, the plenty,
1: the praise, those things we think are good for us might actually be killing us. So we need to hear Jesus' words in the Beatitudes and realize who they're meant for. The
0: passage says Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to his own followers. And so today these words also are for us. And among his disciples are those who are blessed and those who are receiving well. Certainly here in our congregation, we have a wide range of income and other kinds of privilege. Some of us in our church have experienced what it's like to actually be physically hungry, to not know where your next meal might come from, to not have a safe place to sleep at the end of the day, and certainly to be looked down on by others. And if that describes some of what you are experiencing in your life today, hear these words of blessing from Jesus. They are meant
1: for you. God has blessings for you. And there are others of us who have full pantries and maybe a rainy day fund set aside.
0: We might have the ability to choose what to make for dinner tonight or whether to eat out. We might have houses that we own, safe ones, maybe even ones with extra bedrooms. And if any of that is true for us, then we are among the richest people in the world.
1: How will those of us who have riches hear Jesus' words of woe today? How can we live faithfully even as we are receiving our reward? How will we live with these things that might be killing us? Now, it's not that we should romanticize poverty.
0: One thing about that ancient morality that is true and always has been is that poverty is bad and plenty is good the earth and the fullness thereof are the lords god is the creator of all good things food and plenty and so the problem is not with the riches and the food and the good things themselves but with the ways that they are spread around What Jesus says is not blessed are you if you are hungry because food is bad and no one should have it. What he says is you will be filled. What Jesus is promising is a great reversal, a great transformation. And for those of us who have more than our share, one of the only safe ways to live with this stuff is to give some of it away,
1: about as much as we can stand, maybe a little more. Jesus is promising that there is a future where God's abundance is shared fairly and where
0: everyone has enough. And that vision can be scary or can be beautiful, depending partly on where we stand.
1: But it is God's future. And it's a future where there is abundance for all. Today in the epistle reading from Paul's letter, first
0: letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is in vain. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then we Christians of all people are the most to be pitied."
1: He's right, because it's in the resurrection of Jesus that we have a profound hope for God's future. Sometimes
0: people of faith are criticized for being too preoccupied with the afterlife. And sometimes those criticisms are true. Focusing too much on a future beyond death can be just a form of pie in the sky. It can be used to keep people from rising up and making a difference here and now. But it doesn't have to be. If we're honest, we have to say that God's justice, if it's to be real justice, can't be limited to what we see here and now. There are too many of God's beloved whose experience of life in this world is mostly woe. And so if we take God's justice and God's abundance seriously, we have to believe that there is a future. There's a future here on Earth as it is in heaven. That God's justice isn't limited to what we see here, and that we can work and serve and struggle for a better world today while also being inspired by the vision of what's to come.
1: Jesus' resurrection gives us hope in the next life and in this world. But there's more to it than that. Because Jesus' resurrection isn't just about hope beyond death.
0: It's already a part of the great transformation, the great reversal. Because if Jesus hasn't been raised then there's no real reason to think that there's been any change in the eternal pattern that Pliny and Caesar knew so well, that the rich get richer while the poor suffer. Jesus, the itinerant peasant from Galilee, goes to the cross, while Pontius Pilate has a glass of wine and goes to his bedchamber. But if Jesus has been raised, if Jesus, who became poor for us, who is hungry and shamed by all. If that Jesus is at God's right hand, then that's a sign
1: that the great transformation has begun.